In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. Today, we're going to start talking about Melissa and Joe Gorga. Do you want to give details on what specifically we're going to get into, Angela? There's so many things, you guys, but the first thing I want to say is we're going to address this first. We got the most questions about did Joe lose his parents' house? And we're going to explain how that rumor started what evidence there is, if any, to support it and try to answer that question. Then we're also going to go into the other lawsuits, some financial ones being sued by American Express, the other foreclosures on some of the other homes that they've had. And then I think probably one of the more interesting ones is the lawsuit Ceci's going to talk about, which is the fight that we actually didn't get to see that resulted in three years of litigation. And then the lawsuit where Melissa Gorga and Andy Cohen and NBC Universal get sued by Melissa Gorga's former business partner in federal court. And that one's juicy. And we've got the contracts that she had to sign, which are pretty fascinating. And then what else? There's just a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> There's been... a lot. <laughs> They've been in a lot of legal issues, and I'm sure even in all of our research, we miss multiple lawsuits, but we're going to get into as much of it as we can. Yeah. I think before we dive in, we should maybe just talk about generally our thoughts on them, maybe? Yeah, On the show. I don't find either of them to be particularly interesting, (laughs) but (laughs) it's my own personal opinion. I just don't think anyone succeeds when you make your storyline about someone else. I understand that there are a lot of family dynamics in New Jersey generally, but it does get a little repetitive. If anyone watching the current season of Real Housewives of New Jersey feels irritated because they feel like Joe and Melissa have always made their storyline about Teresa, that's completely fair. To prepare for this episode, I went back and watched season three, episode one of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, and that's the first 
episode where Melissa is a full-time cast member. It was fascinating to go back and watch it now because when I was watching it back, Melissa was really gunning for Teresa, like really gunning, like big time. And Teresa's main complaint was, I am not as close to my brother as I used to be. And I don't get along with Melissa that well. We're not the best of friends. But honestly, it was shocking to me to see how hard Melissa was gunning for Teresa and making comments about her that did not age well. No. Joe can be very engaging, but I never really had a strong feeling one way or the other about her until I went back just now and rewatched that first episode that she was a full-time cast member on. Yeah, do you want to talk about the house? So the first thing I'm going to talk about are the rumors. The rumors are essentially something like this in various formats. Again, these are rumors that have been posted online in various sources for, I don't know, almost a decade now, maybe longer. The rumors are that when Joe and Melissa were trying to get on the Real Houses of New Jersey, that Melissa talked Joe into buying the mansion he had just built instead of selling it so they could live there and appear wealthy. These are the rumors. They allege that Melissa's husband, Joe Gorga, took out loans from shady loan sharks using his parents' home as collateral. So using Teresa and Joe Gorga's parents' house as collateral. Then that Joe, again, rumors, defaulted on the loans and his parents lost their home, which had been paid off and which the parents had been happily living in in retirement. According to... The online rumors that everyone's wanting us to figure out, this strained their relationship with the parents, and Melissa was blamed because she was the one wanting desperately to be on the show, and then they blamed Joe for doing whatever Melissa told him to do. I don't know exactly how this rumor got started, but I do know that Juicy Joe, Teresa's husband, has definitely perpetuated it. He talked about it in interviews and online and seemed to provide some support for it. And if you go back and watch... Season three, episode one, you'll see this massive six bedroom, seven and a half bathroom Montville mansion Melissa is living in with Joe and the kids. There was a very detailed report from Fame Horgas, which again, not the most reliable source, but I'm only including the facts that can be substantiated by public records. Joe bought the Montville lot the year Teresa was cast on The Real Housewives of New Jersey and then began building the mansion on it in 2008, which is the same year that they filmed season one. Then they moved into the mansion in 2009 when it was still officially under construction. So when you're a contractor like Joe, you can get builder's loan. And then that's different from or mortgage loan. Builder's loan is going to be shorter term because you're obviously building it to sell it. A mortgage loan is different. There's different types of interest rates. So they were added to the cast supposedly in September 2010. And then they had that giant house on the market. But then they removed it from the market after they were cast on the show. Melissa addressed this on her Bravo TV blog, which I actually liked it when they would do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of forget that they used to do that. But yeah, those blogs were an added layer of drama. Yeah. I wish they made them only do the blogs and get rid and no, of all the social media stuff. Yeah. I'm so over all the social media stuff. It's exhausting and it's not fun. And have your social media, but don't talk about the stuff on the show. Just that would be so great if that was a rule. Right. And like, I yeah. don't follow everyone on social media. So... You can't keep up with it. No. <laughs> Go back to the blogs. Yeah, I, I agree. According to Melissa's Bravo TV blog from back in the day, addressing rumors that they were moving out of that giant Montville mansion that you see her in in season three, episode one, because they couldn't afford their payments on the house anymore. She says, quote, 
please don't believe any of the rumors that we have a balloon payment due or that our interest rate exploded or that we can't pay our bills. Our mortgage history is all available in public records, so I would never say that if it wasn't true. We have a 30-year fixed mortgage with an interest rate of 5% and never once missed a mortgage payment. In the whole eight years we've been married, it would make no sense that now we couldn't afford this house. Melissa, quote, we own four buildings and have many other investments that would allow us to stay in this house forever if we wanted to. For the record, we sold our last house in Franklin Links for $2.45 million to LeVar Arrington, and who's a football player, and then bought in Montville so we could be closer to Teresa and the Cousins. Which, side note, that doesn't make a ton of sense because immediately Mm-mm. you see on the show how she's talking about they don't get along. Yeah. We moved into our current house in 2008 and didn't sign on to the show until 2010. So obviously we did not just move into the house because we got on the show. End quote. Before we dive into what happened with Joe's parents' house in that timeline, I just wanted to talk about some pictures of the house. So you see the house that they lived in, season three, episode one, the Montville mansion. It's a McMansion, but it does look well done, I will say, for that style of home. You know what I mean? It's not my style. It looks a little like the clock from Beauty and the Beast. It totally looks like the clock from Beauty and the Beast. But, but it, yeah, it's it's not like gross or it's, overdone. It's not something you and I would want. And now all I can see is the clock from Beauty and the Beast. And I'm waiting for Lumiere to I run mean, out. I'll take it. I'll, I'll right. take it. I live in an apartment. But yeah, so, <laughs> I'll take it. It's not my style. But yeah, but you can tell there's a lot of nice finishes. There's arched windows. There's very distinct architectural details. It actually looks expensive, I will say. Then what do you think about their house that they are currently living in now, their new build? And I will say I have seen these both before. But yeah, this other one is just windows. It's just walls and windows, (laughs) just like a flat walls and windows. And there's a content creator, and I can't remember on what platform it is. I think it might have been on Instagram and maybe they are on TikTok now. But they go through the houses and like circle everything that is wrong. McMansion Hell. Huh? I think it's McMansion Hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I think these homes have been on there where they're like, if you count the windows, they're not the same on the right as the left. No, it's nuts. Um, There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And they're not oh, centered. <laughs> it's just like a slab of home. Yeah, I just counted 23 windows on the front of the house. And it's a black and white house, I guess, in the modern farmhouse style. And then there's these pointed gable things and none of those match. It's There's five of them. Yeah. <laughs> But the one in the middle is not centered. It's interesting to compare and contrast the two homes, the one that they lived in when they started on the show and then the one that they've moved into now this season. The house that belonged to Joe and Teresa's parents is interesting. And I believe this is the house that was at Black Oak Ridge Road in Wayne, New Jersey. So it it looks like actually from the property records that Joe Gorga bought this house in 2002 for $510,000. And then two years later, he put the house in his and his parents' names in February 2004. If this is the house that everyone's talking about that he supposedly lost, it looks like Joe Gorga bought the house originally. Then he put it in his parents' names in February 2004. So what might actually be interesting about this is that Joe and Melissa Gorga get married on August 20, 2004. So he puts the house in his parents' names along with his own name before he and Melissa actually get married. And then in July 2004, a list pendants was filed. And a list pendants is an official notice to the public that a lawsuit involving a claim on the property has been filed. 
And there was a lawsuit involving his landscaping business. A list pendants just means that it's connected to the property and the buyer must assume any litigation that exists pertaining to the property. And then the list pendants was discharged in 2005. And then Joe took out a mortgage jointly with his father, according to the documents, on the house in 2007 for $500,000. But then on May 12th, 2009, court records show that there was a residential mortgage foreclosure action filed on 259 Black Oak Ridge Road, which is the property we've been talking about. And it would appear that they got out of their foreclosure proceedings because they ended up selling the house for $440,000, which paid off the mortgage. And that would have been right before he and Melissa joined the show. It looks like he initially bought the house for his parents, then took out a loan on it, then sold the house right before they got on the show. But also, I would remind everybody that even if you hate Melissa and Joe Gorga, they are not actually the cause of the financial crisis in 2008, which also could have been why if you're a home contractor or a home builder like Joe was, that you'd have to rearrange your finances. But it does, it does seem a bit it just, odd. He sold it for less than he bought it for. And I understand it was in 2009, 2009 but still. Yeah, it's weird. Like he bought it 2002, 510 and then sold it 2009 for 440. That's illogical. But it is what it is. The thing is, we can look at the property records, we can look at the public information that's available and then put it in a timeline, but all of that is circumstantial. So we don't know exactly why they were doing what they were doing. I've always said that Teresa would have read them for filth on every single episode of the show, but one of our Supreme Court members, Tara, pointed out that Teresa may have a motivation for not doing that, which would be that it would have embarrassed her parents. Mm. Tara, you made a really good point. But again, (laughs) this is all just circumstantial stuff. But Melissa also addressed this on her Bravo blog. She said, Joe is a little taken aback when he is told that Teresa is building a garage for her parents. Joe's parents have been living in a house that he owns for over 10 years, meaning Joe Gorga owned the house. We sold it last year, but they will live there until Joe finds a perfect spot to build them a new one. Joe is the king of flipping houses. He buys and sells, buys and sells. That is what he does. Joe's parents still live in that house, so I don't think the garage Teresa was building was for her parents. But as we all know, Teresa's parents did actually end up moving into the garage apartment so do you want to conclude the rumors true false you could make a circumstantial case for that but we don't know what all was going on and again it looks like this probably had more to do with the financial crisis but it's unfortunate if he bought his parents the house and then had to use it as collateral to get a loan and then had to sell it to pay off that loan because of the financial crisis, it's unfortunate that he took out a loan on a house that was paid off that he had given to his parents. If that's what happened, all we know are what's in the public records. I went through a lot of it and tried to figure out what we could for you. And before we move on, I do want to say I don't care for people's big homes on the show. Like, yes, it's nice to look at if I know you can afford it, but like have a nice sized home. And I'm not implying that They couldn't afford it, but I'm just saying, in my opinion, I'd rather you have a home that is nicely decorated and well lived in, like Robin, than have a McMansion. I don't know. Robin's new house is pretty big. Yeah, but she lived in a townhome for a bit. Yeah, that's true. That was respectful. I don't know. Just my opinion. All right. So then November 24th, 2008, there was a lawsuit filed 
by American Express against Joe Gorga for $154,000. So the case was American Express Bank versus Joe Gorga and Second Look Landscaping. Second Look was Joe's landscaping business. And just a side note, but the business address for the second look is the same as the address for the house that we were just talking about. So the house in Joe and his father's name that was sold. According to Google, second look landscaping is permanently closed. We can't access the complaint, but there was a default judgment issued in 2009 in favor of American Express. And a default judgment is a judgment in favor of the plaintiff when the defendant fails to respond to a court summons or appear in court. Some courts require you to still offer evidence and proof of the damages before issuing a default judgment. And the court did so here because on the docket, we can see that Amex filed for the default judgment and filed proof of damages. So like I said here, Amex sought $154,000 in damages and the court issued a default judgment. This means Amex must have been able to easily prove the money they were owed, though with a default judgment, it's not like there's a clear finding based on evidence of liability. It's more like you lost because you didn't play by the rules. They didn't show up, so they lose. That's all we have on that. But that just means that Amex was owed $100,000, $150,000, didn't get paid and got a default judgment, which means Joe owed that money to Amex. So did they did they pay that? Uh, what is it? $154,000? They did eventually. There is a warrant of satisfaction. So at some point they paid it. We just don't know exactly when. Mm-hmm. And there seemed to be more stuff filed after. But I did go to the docket and try and click on all those. We couldn't. Yeah. You can't click on them. That was 2008. But then February 13, 2009, there's a foreclosure on Cottontail Trail. That's actually kind of a cute. <laughs> that is really cute. That's 42 cute Cottontail Trail, which is a different house is owned by Joe Gorga. They eventually got that set aside. So they started paying on it at some point. I will say there was more construction type defaults of them them meaning Joe and his company's not paying, but I didn't include all of them because it would have gotten really repetitive. <laughs> not very juicy. No, it's just, oh, they didn't pay a contractor or somebody else. Okay, so the next legal issue that we're going to discuss involves the season five finale of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Viewers were shown the aftermath of a huge brawl involving John and Penny Georges at the grand opening for Posh 2. And as a side note, John was known as Johnny the Greek, and he passed away in 2016. So rest in peace. There was footage of the actual fight that is alleged Bravo didn't air but has. And before I get into the specifics alleged regarding the fight on behalf of John and Penny as they allege it, the players involved in the fight were John, Penny on one side, and then Joe Gorga, Chris Larita, and Jacqueline Larita on the other side. So the fight was, uh, occurred. It actually occurred. I was going to say alleged, but no, this fight happened <laughs> in March 2013. And both sides involved, so the Georgies and the Gorga Loritas, filed criminal charges for assault and harassment. The judge on both sides, it was the same judge handling both of these charges. And I'm going to assume that the procedure for New Jersey is similar, like Maryland, that we went over when we were doing the Potomac lawsuit, our first episode way back when, right. where you can kind of yourself go and get these charges filed instead of a, an officer or a prosecutor filing the charges. Wow, that was a long time ago. I can't believe I remember that. 
(laughs) So yeah, it was the same judge handling both sides' separate filings of charges. And the judge on both sides found that there was probable cause to charge everyone, so on both sides, with assault and harassment. As part of the judge finding that there was probable cause for charges against John, Jacqueline Larita testified in April 2013 that John Karagiorgis came to the event at the salon, quote, looking for a fight. She claims he was dressed like he was ready to fight. Jacqueline testified that he was actually asked not to attend the event, which was the second salon grand opening, but he showed up anyway, apparently with a bodyguard. She says that the bodyguard appeared to be armed. She testified she was part of a, quote, tsunami of people packed into the space for the grand opening and that John, quote, lunged towards me and I heard him yelling, I'll, bad word, kill you. And she said John had a crazy look in his eyes like he was on drugs or something. So Loretta testified during this hearing, and again, this hearing was to determine if there was probable cause to charge John with criminal charges. She testified that he apparently used Twitter and had been harassing her and other members of the Real Housewives of New Jersey cast, posting malicious and derogatory comments about her, her husband, and the couple's autistic son. She said, quote, somehow he was fixated on me and the other cast members and would show up at events and run his mouth, saying things about me as a mother, telling me to stay off social media. She claims that he made other sick comments on social media, suggesting her son was not actually autistic and that they were all faking it for attention. She said she was afraid of him because she's not sure what he's capable of. Chris Larita and Gorga also testified. They claimed Kara Georges had lunged at them and threatened their lives. They told the judge that they were forced to defend themselves and their wives during the fight, and both claimed that he had been using Twitter to harass and slander them. Gorga said he's obsessed with us and has stalked us for years. I get phone calls at night. It's to the point where my wife has gotten depressed over it. This guy needs to be prosecuted. This is cyberbullying. The judge ended up dismissing both sides' charges, so no one was found guilty of a crime on either side here. Similar to the Potomac fight, Mm -hmm. where it was just kind of... Everyone loses. No one wins. I mean, yeah, the judge was kind of like, everyone sucks here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And before I move on, I do want to note our sources here. We used Courthouse News, Law360, NJ.com, NorthJersey.com, and the actual complaint. So that's what I'm going to get to next. So after the charges were completely dismissed and the judge was like, you all, no, we're not not doing that. In the criminal context, the Carrie Georges, the Carrie Georges? The Carrie Georgi filed the civil lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up filing a civil lawsuit against everyone I mentioned. So Joe, Jacqueline Larita, and Chris Larita. Against them, plus NBC, Bravo, and Sirens Media, which we know who NBC is. We know who Bravo is. Sirens Media was the production company for New Jersey probably still is. According to the complaint, Penny was invited to the salon grand opening by Bravo producers and John accompanied her. The complaint alleges they were only invited for drama for the show. Okay, but can I just stop you there? Why else is anyone invited? Why is anyone invited? Right? (laughs) On The Real Housewives. I feel like you'd have to admit that statement of fact. Yes, they were only invited for drama for the show. Right. No, no. They invited them to enjoy the drinks and appetizers at the grand opening of a salon so according to the complaint they got into a verbal altercation and fight with joe gorga chris larita and jacqueline larita 
John says that Joe and Chris punched him on the head and or face with a closed fist, and Jacqueline struck him on the head and or face with a stiletto-type shoe. They also claim during the attack, unknown members of the crew, quote, restrained him such that he could not defend himself from the unlawful attacks of defendants Joe Gorga, Chris Larita, and Jacqueline Larita. They say that defendants Bravo, NBC, and Sirens Media failed to call the local ambulance or the police after they attacked and produced and recorded the entire incident for the show. From the complaint, it says that defendants encouraged, promoted, required, and or demanded that members of the cast of New Jersey engage in verbal and physical conflicts with one another and with members of the public, thus creating a culture, climate, and or atmosphere of confrontation, hostility, and violence in order to attract viewers generate higher ratings and increase revenue. The Cara Georgies say that defendants Joe Gorga, Chris Larita, and Jacqueline Larita only filed criminal charges, so the ones I mentioned before, against John in retaliation and with malicious intent because John reported the unlawful attack by the defendants on him. John also gave an interview to the Newark Star-Ledger and said that the fight grew out of allegations that he made rude comments about the Larita's autistic son. Like I mentioned earlier, Jacqueline testified that it all kind of stemmed or may have stemmed from him making allegations supposedly on Twitter that her son doesn't actually have autism. He Did denied he do that? Such... Do you know? I don't know. If he made them, it's not on Twitter anymore. Yeah. And that's not easy to pull up. One of my favorite tools to use to find things like that, if you, for those who don't know, now you're in the know, there's an awesome website called The Wayback Machine. Oh, I love that. I love it, too. Lawyers love the Wayback Machine. (laughs) We love it. And there's been actually, like, interesting cases on whether or not that can be admissible evidence. The Wayback Machine is is amazing. It's basically a, a recorded snapshot in time of different websites. So your favorite website, if it existed back in, like, 2012, and you want to go look it up, you can find it if they took a screenshot of it or, like, a cache of it. Great tool. Mm Mm-hmm. Not good for Twitter. No. He denied that he made the comments and told the paper he believes he was set up by and used by production to add drama to the episode. So John and Penny claimed that they suffered bruising, scarring, disfigurement, fractured bones, facial lacerations, mental anguish, psychological health problems, physical discomfort, pain and suffering, economic losses, and shame and embarrassment because of everything alleged. Just jump in there. I mean scarring and fractured bones i have i find it difficult to believe that there were no criminal charges filed if somebody had a bone fractured in their face or permanent physical disfigurement you know yeah i mean they probably well first we probably would have seen photos yeah (laughs) but the judge was probably like in the criminal context was probably like i'm not even gonna get in this you both are at fault you know like even if they had the facial lacerations i don't know loses but it's that type of injury is a felony if you break a bone in someone's face in mm-hmm. most jurisdictions. I just I'm thinking there may be some puffery here in this maybe. civil maybe. <laughs> yeah, so this suit the claims at issue here are counts of battery and assault, conspiracy and the conspiracy is for Bravo and Sirens Media, the production company for setting up the contrived fight, malicious prosecution. So like I mentioned before, this stems from the, they're saying that 
the only reason Joe and the Loritas filed their criminal charges against the Carrie Georgies is because they did it first. Defamation and slander and false light. So the defamation and false light claims. So he's saying you are defaming me by saying that I said something on Twitter that I didn't say. And then there's three negligence count, three negligence counts. When was this filed? 2013? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then in 2016, there was an article and confirmation from Joe Gorga's counsel that the parties ended up settling. Wow. So that went on for three years. Yeah. And and so I, I like you mentioned before, fame Horgas might not be. You know, they're they're not pleading, but according to them, the court ended up subpoenaing Bravo to turn over the footage from the fight because it was apparently recorded. And they said, do you have to turn over the footage so we can see it unedited? I mean, that's totally plausible and reasonable because the court can order Bravo to do that. So. True. Yeah. And Bravo was a party to the so it's, it's discovery. Right. Right. And very relevant discovery. So Very relevant discovery. <laughs> so... December 6, 2017. So they they get done with that civil lawsuit in 2016. And then 2017, Melissa's business partner in her Envy store sues Melissa Gorga and Andy Cohen in NBC in federal court for general defamation, defamation per se, defamation by implication, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and tortious interference with prospective advantage. So... This is according to the plaintiff here, which was Jackie Beard Robinson, who was Melissa's partner for her boutique Envy. Jackie Beard Robinson describes herself as an entrepreneur and international fashion influencer. She is also a blogger and style consultant. This is paragraph 10 of her complaint. (laughs) I loved that. Yeah. She has extensive background in marketing and sales. As a prominent member of the South Florida community and this district in particular, Plaintiff was well-respected in her community and revered for her innate fashion sense, style, and community outreach. Wait, revered? She put this in a complaint? I mean, I guess if you're paying your lawyer to file a lawsuit in federal court... You might as well make yourself Might as good. well say that you're revered for your innate fashion sense. Well, so moving on, plaintiff owned a clothing store named Ginger, but with a J for the second G. So G-I-N-J-E-R. Ginger? Ginger. But that's Ginger. No. (laughs) G-I-N-J-E-R. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Ginger. Well, anyway, so she owned Ginger from 2011 to 2015. In the spring of 2014, defendant Gorga and her husband walked into Ginger and met plaintiff. Plaintiff recognized her and gave her free merchandise to wear for the series The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Plaintiff and defendant maintained in contact until the following August in 2015 when defendant Gorga called plaintiff on the telephone and expressed that she wanted to open a store with plaintiff. On October 22, 2015, plaintiff and defendant Gorga signed in an operating agreement naming plaintiff as the sole manager of Envy by Melissa Gorga, LLC, a New Jersey limited liability company. So Jackie Beard Robinson, according to their operating agreement for their LLC is the sole manager of Envy at this time when this is signed, according to this. Not Melissa. Not Melissa. It's Jackie Beard Robinson, the revered In style f- maven. Stylish. Yeah. Woman. 
Envy operated a boutique clothing store in Montclair, New Jersey, and was an integral part of last season's defendant NBC Universal Cables, the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I do remember them opening the store, Envy, with Joe. That was one of Melissa's only storylines that didn't involve family, pretty much. It was probably one of Melissa's big storylines, but I don't think it was defendant in NBC Universal Cables. I don't think it was an integral part of the show. I would agree. Yeah. It was was a storyline that Melissa had. I mean... You know, like when you're writing these things, you're writing to writing them to a judge who has no flippin' idea, you know? Right. right. No flippin' idea. They're not like, oh, wait, no, Envy was just Melissa's storyline. It actually was you know? Unless the clerk is one of our listeners and then True. they know. <laughs> yeah. But like might as well make it sound like it was the biggest part of the show that season, I mean, you know? It was a big part of Melissa's storyline, but it was, oh, Melissa's becoming a career woman now and Joe Gorga is upset about it because she's not at home to make him his home-cooked dinner yeah but she put this in here to make it seem like it was she literally says defendant nbc universal cables so integral to the housewives so plaintiff and defendant gorga were business partners in envy up until december 31st 2016 on the morning of january 1 2017 during daylight hours Plaintiff, meaning Jackie Beard Robinson, went to Envy and gathered all of her belongings after she discovered that defendant Melissa Gorga misappropriated over $37,000 from Envy without authorization, among other things. The merchandise belonged to and was owned by Plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson. On January 4th, 2017, after Plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson removed only her merchandise from Envy, Brett Hitchner, defendant Gorga's counsel, sent an email correspondence to Arthur Grossman a member of the firm representing plaintiff at the time that read, My client, Defendant Gorga, acknowledges and accepts your client's withdrawal from the company, Envy, as of December 31st, 2016, that your client may sell off and retain the proceeds for the items that your client has taken from the Envy store, that my client will be responsible for the company's operating expenses from and after January 1, 2017, and that my client and your client will thereafter have no further obligations to each other with respect to the company, which is really obtuse lawyer speak for, okay, you took all the stuff that you think belongs to you, so now our business relationship's over. You can keep that and sell it. So they said that. He just said it in a really complicated lawyery way. That's why we're here to say it in a non <laughs> So then Defendant Gorga accepted that plaintiff Jackie Robinson may sell off and retain the proceeds for the items that plaintiff took from the Envy store after plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson retrieved her merchandise. Five days later, on January 9th, 2017, Mr. Tanella, then counsel for plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson, sent an email to Mr. Hitchner, counsel for defendant Gorga, at 7.12 p.m. stating, quote, It has been brought to my attention that your client, defendant Melissa Gorga, has made false and slanderous comments about my client. These actions must cease and desist immediately. Should your client continue to make such slanderous statements, my client shall be compelled to consider legal action against your client for slander and defamation. Again, really obtuse lawyers speak for... Stop saying stuff or we'll sue you. Yeah, that's basically their cease and desist letter. Yeah. Like we've covered in our cease and desist letter episode. Yes. So defendant Melissa Gorga knew and was on actual notice not to defame plaintiff since around January 9th, 2017, when her attorney put her attorney on notice that the slanderous and defamatory statements she publicly made must cease and desist immediately. On February 23rd, 2017... Mr. Janella, so this is plaintiff's attorney, warned defendant Gorga's counsel in a formal letter 
saying, quote, we have serious concerns concerning your client, Melissa Gorga's, past behavior that she will defame Ms. Robinson through social media, particularly during the production of the Real Housewives of New Jersey series. Please be advised that in the event Ms. Gorga defames Ms. Robinson, either directly or indirectly, we have been instructed to take immediate legal action against your client, wherein our client will seek restraints, damages, costs, and attorney's fees. So this is like another another cease and desist letter. Yeah. This one kind of has the teeth, though, like, stop or else we're going to sue you. Apparently, they also sent a cease and desist letter to NBC Universal, stating the purpose of this correspondence is to notify NBC Universal and all entities and persons involved in the production of the series, The Real Housewives of New Jersey, that we have placed Miss Melissa Gorga on notice that she is to refrain from making any defamatory statements directly or indirectly about Miss Robinson through social media, including in connection with the series. In the event that Miss Melissa Gorga makes any such defamatory statements concerning our client, through the broadcast of the series or any promotional aspect of the series, please be advised that we intend to take immediate legal action against your company, Miss Melissa Gorga, and any and or any person or entity who aids Miss Gorga in making such defamatory statements, wherein our client will seek restraints, damages, costs, and attorney's fees. Again, that's just saying don't say anything bad about Jackie Beard Robinson or she will. F- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I lawsuit. But the point of them putting this in here is for them to say that, oh, we gave them notice that we considered these statements to be defamatory and we told them not to do it. So what happened on October 4th, 2017? So during the airing of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, Melissa, acting in concert with other defendants, falsely, recklessly, and or negligently stated that plaintiff, quote, snuck in in the middle of the night and took all the clothes. Which, just to make a comment on that, that is what she did. No, she but Angela, not... it wasn't at night. Well, I'm just saying she did go in and take all of the clothes. And she yeah. obviously did it when she knew Melissa wasn't there. So maybe whatever, that is that sneaking? I, 
but she took all that she took the stuff that she thought was hers they yeah yeah i mean like i didn't rewatch this part and i apologize to our listeners that i didn't but like she probably just said it like when you're just talking to someone in normal people talk you know when yeah. you're like oh man she like snuck in the, in the middle of the night and took all the clothes you know yeah, which, again, isn't necessarily saying that she stole them. She just said – she didn't say she snuck in and stole all of the clothes, but I guess that's the connotation. Mm-hmm. Which you can sue for implications. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. You want to continue? On October 4, 2017, during the airing of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, which, by the way, this is now our fifth lawsuit from Watch What Happens Live stemming from comments <laughs> on Watch What Happens Live, I think. I mean, people get loose. Watch What Happens Live put a couple lawyers' kids through college. <laughs> <laughs> having defend clients that made statements on watch probably what but live. we still want to be bartenders so yeah we totally do watch what happens live if you're listening i was an actual bartender for 10 years i was not but i like to drink so i'm yes. down to go yes says <laughs> <laughs> he looks really good on tv so stop we both do come on watch what happens live you know you want to see it anyway uh, so further on october 17th during the airing of watch what happens live with andy cohen Defendant Cohen, acting in concert with the other defendants, jointly and severally, falsely, recklessly, grossly, negligently, and or negligently stated, quote, wow, so that lady, plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson, wound up kind of ripping you off. Defendants published this in the district that plaintiff has stolen merchandise and acted criminally. Defendant Gorga, acting in concert with the other defendants, jointly and severally responded, yes, and then furthered the falsehood that plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson snuck into envy in the middle of the night and stole clothing. I'll just remind, I just, all I can think of was like a choir of Melissa's going, yes. <laughs> Plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson removed her merchandise and other materials from Envy during the morning of January 1, 2017, in broad daylight, not during, quote, the middle of the night. The statement that plaintiffs snuck in the middle of the night as false, misleading, reckless, grossly negligent, negligent, and made with actual malice. I guess she doesn't want to be accused of creeping around at night. No. Nothing good happens at night, you know? That's legal. <laughs> <laughs> the clothing and other materials that plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson removed during broad daylight, again, broad daylight, on the morning of January 1, 2017, belonged to and were owned by plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson. The statement that that lady wound up kind of ripping you off is false and misleading and made with actual malice. Defendants, each and every one of them acting in concert jointly and severally, knew or should have known that plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson did not steal and commit a crime by sneaking into Envy in the middle of the night to retrieve her merchandise. Defendants, each and every one of them, acting in concert, jointly and severally, knew or should have known that plaintiff owned the merchandise and that an agreement between defendant Gorga and plaintiff allowed plaintiff to retain or sell her merchandise. Then she goes in to say that she gave everyone timely notice. She says it was false or misleading, the statements, that she has damages, and blah, blah, blah. It says their inaction has compounded the damages alleged in this complaint. The false and misleading statements continue to be published and republished in this district, the United States, and around the world. <laughs> Just and This is, again, Ceci and I have talked about this so many times. But when you file a defamation lawsuit... A lot of times it can just make things worse because no one really cares that much about what you're doing and they're not going to mm -hmm. remember. So, no. And the statements here, in my opinion, were just so mild. But, you know, who knows? I mean, she did go take the stuff and she pretty much admits they didn't have an agreement that she could take them. But yeah, and maybe Melissa did feel like she got screwed over. Yeah. Maybe for purposes of the show. Right. I'm not saying all of Melissa's actions with this were reasonable, because I don't know. But right. 
it seems like the real tea here is that they had this business divorce because Melissa had taken $38,000. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is there anything about that? Like, that's an allegation, or not even an allegation, just put into the facts of the complaint. It would have been better, probably, if they had filed a lawsuit over the business divorce, potentially, if Melissa wasn't supposed to take that money, filed it on behalf of the LLC. Ceci and I have an LLC together for the podcast. We both have access to everything. One of us can't go and take out a big, not that we have a big chunk of money in the podcast (laughs) account, but if we did, I couldn't take out $38,000 without permission from my business partner because it's jointly ours. That would have been maybe a better lawsuit to file, but instead she took a bunch of the clothes didn't sue, it doesn't look like, over the $38,000. And they could have just been done with it. But then she didn't like what Melissa said on Watch What Happens Live about. Yeah, I mean, what probably happened is that she saw this as a a way to promote her business and get a windfall from being on the show. And then she wasn't pleased with how they ended up portraying her on the show, which we'll get into when we go over the release. That being said, the causes of action here are general defamation, and we have talked about defamation so much. It's probably the top thing that we talk about, and I'll just remind everyone that the elements here are that you have to show that someone published a false statement, and that's just like putting it out in the world, which that's an easy element here to satisfy. It was on Watch What Happens Live. It was a statement made on the show. The thing that isn't a, you're you're not able to prove right in the complaint is that it was false. And the way that you prove whether or not it was false is if it was published with knowledge or reckless disregard that it was false. And malice is just for if the person that's being spoken about is a public figure, which if you notice in the complaint and the portions we read, she keeps saying that Andy Cohen said it with actual malice and Melissa said it with actual malice, but they don't have to reach actual malice. Does she count as a public figure? Since she's not a public figure, I wouldn't think so. I seem kind of seems like she thinks she is because she described herself as an international fashion blogger. Yeah, yeah. Like my, like I kept picking up on the fact that she said malice. Yeah. So maybe she was thinking that she would make it to that stand, not make it to that standard, but but that that standard disfavors her. Yeah, that was easier. It's harder to prove actual malice. Yeah. Way harder. (laughs) <laughs> it has to be about another person to a third party, and you have to prove the falsity of the statement and that it caused injury to the person it was being said about. Ooh, I really like what you looked up for defamation per se. This lawsuit was filed in federal court in Florida, but Ceci looked up defamation per se for New Jersey. And these categories that you included in here are fascinating. I just love that you looked this up. This is so funny to me. Okay, so New Jersey classifies a statement as defamatory per se if it falls into one of these four categories. And Ceci says, note that these four categories are interpreted broadly and are not all inclusive. So one, statements charging the plaintiff with the commission of a crime. Okay, that's fair. It's definitely defamatory if you're saying somebody is a criminal and they're not. Statements imputing certain loathsome diseases to the plaintiff. Interesting. Okay, I guess if people are going around telling everyone you have leprosy or something, then... That could affect your life. Statements which affect a person in his business, trade, profession, or office. Okay. But that's really broad. And statements which impute unchastity to a woman. Just a woman. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Interesting, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but so the reason I looked it up, and, and I think in the complaint here, plaintiff, 
put in that it was defamatory because the statements were making it sound like she committed a crime. Florida law, similarly, if it's falsely imputing to another criminal offense, it's defamation per se. Then intentional infliction of emotional distress. Defendants, each and every one of them. That's lawyer talk. You can just say defendants. You don't have to say (laughs) each and every one. But defendants, each and every one of them, acting individually and in concert, intended to cause plaintiff, Jackie Beard Robinson, to suffer emotional distress, or in the alternative, defendants or their agents engaged in defamatory conduct with reckless disregard of the high probability of causing plaintiff to suffer emotional distress. And the standard is a reasonable person would find the conduct outrageous. The reasonable person standard is always fascinating to me. How do we even know what a reasonable person is anymore? But I think you and I had the instant reaction when we saw what she was alleging the defamatory statements were that we did not find the conduct outrageous. But no. Are we reasonable people? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I don't know. Whenever I see the reasonable person standard, I like picture 14 to 25 people in a room being like, "Hmm, okay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, she probably was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she said that about me on TV. But that's not that's not it. (laughs) So number five, tortious interference with prospective business relationships. That is that the defendants knew that she had business relationships and through their defamation, they harmed those relationships and she suffered damages because her reputation was harmed. So to prove that you have to show, okay, because they made these statements that I was stealing from envy like stole the clothes in the middle of the night that because they made these false statements i couldn't enter into other business arrangements because other people believed those false statements that were made about me and so that interfered with me doing my international fashion blogging or opening another store or something i mean she claims that her reputation was really tarnished by it But yeah, you have to show how it was before and then after, which is, I mean, that's why she put in there that she was an international style icon, she said. Plaintiff, in fact, suffered damages as a result of the defendant's interference, including irreparable harm to her reputation and the reputation of her business adventures in her community and throughout the country and the world. She really likes throwing in the world. (laughs) And the world. I don't, I think she could still do business elsewhere in the world, but. I feel like maybe we're not being very nice to Jackie Beard Robinson. Yeah, I have no doubt. I, I didn't intend to be not nice to her when I like, yeah, was, me either. When we did the outline. I'm not blaming Jackie Beard Robinson for this. There's just something about the way the complaint is written that makes it more difficult to take as seriously as she would have wanted, I think. And I have no doubt that there were things done on both sides that were unfair. No, no. And... I think because we've done so many defamation cases on this podcast, we've seen the full spectrum. And this one, I think, just lands on the not as bad end of it. Like, I, yeah, I get that she was upset, but I I think there's probably better things she could have sued Melissa and Joe for, maybe. Maybe. You want to talk about what NBC? NBC, Bravo, and Melissa. But really, I think the people that did the heavy lifting on this were the lawyers for NBC and Bravo. They were not having it. They filed a motion to dismiss, and they attached declarations and exhibits. And one of the declarations was that the two exhibits were true and accurate copies of appearance release forms and arbitration provisions between Sirens Media and plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson, 
one of which was signed and dated on October 28, 2015, and that's Exhibit A. And then she signed a second one two years later, and that's Exhibit B, and that was signed February 28, 2017. She signed those releases, and we've talked about one of those before from a different production company over a different lawsuit that was also defamation (laughs) from Southern Charm. That would be Catherine's politician boyfriend that is not T-Rav. But this one, they've they've clearly gotten more detailed with these over the years, or at least this production company has. Ceci, do you want to talk about the first one, Exhibit A? Sure. So it's way longer, yeah, like you were saying, than the release that we saw for Southern Charm. So outright, definitions of things are very important in contracts because that guides what is being covered throughout the contract. So I went up and I wanted to see what they defined as the program because it's referenced throughout and all of the provisions talk about the program. So what is the program? So it's Real Housewives of New Jersey, obviously, but then it includes any other production, the advertisements, merchandising, publicity, and promotions for the program. So Real Housewives of New Jersey and any other production and for any entity that may sponsor, advertise in, or exhibit in any matter, the footage and materials, the program, or any other production, and the exploitation of all allied ancillary and subsidiary rights. So basically it's saying that this contract covers the Real Housewives of New Jersey, and then anything really promoting the Real Housewives of New Jersey. And that's why Watch What Happens Live would be covered under this agreement. So it's an extension of Real Housewives of New Jersey. So. That's why it would be covered by this. By the way, this is in the first paragraph of this document, and it says, The rights granted herein shall also include the right to edit, delete, dub, and fictionalize the footage and materials, the program, and the advertisements as the producer sees fit in the producer's sole discretion. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you're signing everything away. Yeah. And it says the footage and materials shall also include any and all material that I may create, write, provide, or contribute to in connection with the program at any time, including without limitation, personal journals, photographs, webisodes, vlogs, blogs, video diaries, emails, and text slash picture messages. The producers shall be the sole and exclusive owner of all rights, including without limitation, copyrights in and to the footage and materials. I waive the exercise of any, quote, moral rights and any analogous rights which I may have. To the extent that I retain any interest in the footage and materials, I hereby grant and assign to producer all rights of any nature in any and to all such footage and materials. You sign this, you have no right to anything that they do, and they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah, So, but you also can't do anything with it. So you can't, like... Yeah. Like, she wouldn't be able to take the favorable footage of Envy and then repost it on her store Instagram, for example. She doesn't own that footage. She's giving right. it all away to the producers. So it goes both ways. And then it says, I understand I will not be paid any compensation for giving producer the rights listed in this agreement or for producer's exercise of any and all rights listed in the agreement. Because this is just a appearance waiver. You're just agreeing to appear on the show and then waive all these rights for any footage they have of you. Yeah. And you, you might not even end up on the show. Yeah. So then there's a mediation and arbitration provision, and it's basically saying if you have any claims that come out of this agreement, you can't just go litigate it in court. You have to first go through mediation. If mediation is unsuccessful, then you have to go through arbitration. And and you, you can definitely sign away that right, and that happens in a lot of contracts. Even contracts you don't sign. It happens in a lot of terms of service. So if you like go to use a website and you like sign up for something and then it says 
here are the terms and conditions of using our website. A lot of the times people don't read them. All you're looking for is the little thing you can click to get on to whatever you're trying to do. Exactly. And more often than not, those have arbitration provisions in them. So say you want to like, I don't know, the website screws you over or the app screws you over or something like that. Sorry, you have to arbitrate it. Which a lot of, you know, companies like because it keeps it outside of the sphere of trial work. However, I'm a trial attorney, so I like trials, but that's just me. Oh, it also says, I acknowledge there's a possibility that subsequent to the execution of this agreement, I may discover facts or incur or suffer claims which were unknown or unsuspected at the time this agreement was executed and which, if known by me at that time, may have materially affected my decision to execute this agreement. I acknowledge and agree that by reason of this agreement and the releases contained in the preceding paragraphs, I am assuming any risk of such unknown facts and such unknown and unsuspected claims. So basically they're saying, even if we tricked you into getting here and set all this up and got you to sign this, I assume all the risk of that. Yeah. And then so she signs it. She signs it. There is her printed name, her signature, her date of birth, the date of signature, her email, her address, and in big, bold, capitalized, underlined text right above where she signs, it says, I understand that I'm giving up certain legal rights under this agreement, including without limitation, my right to file a lawsuit in court with respect to any claim arising in connection with this agreement. Yeah, that's bold. It's all caps and it's underlined. Her signature actually covers up a little bit of one of the words because it's so close to where she signed. Okay, so that was signed October 28th, 2015. But NBC, Bravo, Sirens Media has more. (laughs) By 2017, their release form got way longer. The first one, I think, was what, three pages? Three or four? The first one that we covered with, yeah, Southern Charm. Yeah, no, that one was only like three pages or two and a half. But this one was what? Three pages. It's still only three pages. The first one, the 2015 one that she signed. Then when we get to the 2017 one, it's eight pages. So it's more than doubled. For example, a producer and network should have the right to record me using concealed cameras or other devices. They're also disclosing more terrible things they might do to you, but (laughs) you're waving a lot more. Ceci, do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, so this one says, I understand that in and in connection with the program, so Real Housewives of New Jersey and the related promotional programs, I may reveal or relate and other parties may reveal or relate information about me of a personal, private, surprising, defamatory, disparaging, embarrassing, or unfavorable nature, and that my actions and the actions of others participating in the program may be embarrassing or of an otherwise unfavorable nature that may be factual or fictional. Yeah, they can do whatever they want with whatever they want, however they want to. And you can't do anything about it, according to this. I thought it was fascinating that they make you acknowledge in this one, I acknowledge that any breach by me of the confidentiality and publicity provisions of this agreement would cause producer and network irreparable injury and damage. I also recognize that proof of damages suffered by the producer and network in the event that I breach any of these confidentiality or publicity provisions will be costly, difficult, and inconvenient to ascertain. Accordingly, I agree to pay producer and network the sum of $500,000 per breach, plus disgorgement of any income that I may receive in connection with my breach as liquidated damages in the event that I breach any of the confidentiality provisions of this agreement. Wow, it's half a million dollars. Big threat in there to get people not to reveal things they're not supposed to. 
Yeah. It also has a provision that they have to seek permission with the network before talking about the show. And just interesting from a content creator perspective. It also says, I agree that if I partake in the consumption of alcohol at any time during my participation in the program, I represent more that I will not drive a car after I've consumed alcohol. Like, it's just when you see contracts like this that have evolved, it's always because something happened and then they had to add it to the contract. So there's a reason why this grew by multiple pages and have some pretty specific things in there. And we don't know exactly what those are, but anytime you see a contract increasing in size and specificity like this, it's because the lawyers are like, all right, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. So we want you to add this language. Yeah. And this is just a third party release. We can only imagine or assume that these provisions might be in the cast contracts as well. But that's just a guess. I mean, that's just crazy. And then I have to assume that the lawsuit that we talked about before, that they maybe signed a release similar to this, but we don't have access to that discovery. It does say, I authorize producer and network to secure information from my current and former employers, associates, family members, educational institutions, government agencies, credit reporting agencies, and any references I've provided or that are developed by or for producer or network. And I authorize such parties to provide information concerning me. References. I'm not giving Bravo any references then. I unconditionally and irrevocably release and forever discharge all such parties and persons from any and all claims, actions, damages, liabilities, and losses arising out of or in connection with such investigations. I specifically authorize investigation of my employment records, medical records, and government records, including but not limited to my motor vehicle records, criminal records, military records, and credit and consumer reports. Any information obtained by producer network may be used for an evaluation of my application to participate in the program selecting participants in the program, or any other purposes. I'm struggling to imagine any other context other than reality TV where something like this could be even considered appropriate. Yeah. I mean, well, people always ask us if we think that they should be doing more in terms of background checks to, like, find criminal activity and stuff. But this is pretty exhaustive. We don't know if they actually do it, but they're saying, right. you know, you can. Or if we've developed a source to give us information on you to make you look stupid, you can't sue the source. Mm-hmm. It's just... Uh... Yeah. Well, most pertinent to plaintiff, her lawsuit here and her claims is that she in in this release, there is a section called release and it's an agreement not to sue. And it basically says that she releases the party. So here, Bravo and the production company from any claims, actions, complaints, damages, demands, allegations, suits arising from, resulting, relating to the program, as it pertains to any legal or equitable theory whatsoever, including without limitation to negligence, rights of privacy and publicity, defamation, false light, infliction of emotional distress, etc. So this cannot be more clear that the person who signs this agreement is agreeing to not be able to sue Bravo or hear Sirens Media for a claim of defamation. You sign that right away. So similar to the prior contract that we just spoke about, there is also an arbitration provision in this contract, basically saying that whoever signs this contract, so here plaintiff Jackie Beard Robinson, cannot bring any claims in civil court. They have to be arbitrated. And again, she provides her printed name, signature, date of birth, and 
It is underneath a provision, again, that is bolded and underlined and in full caps that says, I have had ample opportunity to read and have, in fact, read this entire agreement. I've also had an opportunity to review it with an attorney of my choice, should I elect to do so. I fully understand all of my rights, obligations, promises, and agreements in particular, and understand that I am giving up certain legal rights under this agreement, including without limitation, my right to file a lawsuit in court with respect to any claim arising in connection with this agreement. So what do you think about that? I mean, what do you think about this contract? So, I mean, Bravo here could have just put in this page right here and been like, look, she agreed fully to this agreement. But even the agreement in full doesn't look great against Jackie Beard Robinson for bringing claims against Bravo pertaining to anything that was said about her on The Real Housewives of New Jersey, or on Watch What Happens Live. And not only did she sign it and print her name and put the date and her birthday, she also initialed every page of the agreement. So why do attorneys have people do that? The reason that attorneys will have you do that or a company will have you do that is to show like, hey, this person had every opportunity to look at every single page in here and actually did so because look, their signature is on every page here. And by doing that, they can't slip in a random page into the agreement when they provide it in its evidence. It shows the page numbers on it and Jackie Beard Robbins' initials next to it to show like she saw these pages. We didn't sneak anything in here. She saw this. We don't know the circumstances under which she ended up signing this agreement, but she did in fact sign it in initial all eight pages of it. What was the goal of this motion filed by NBC slash Bravo? And so what NBC and Bravo here were trying to do with their motion was to get the case dismissed. And their basis for that was that it should be in arbitration because of the agreements that we just reviewed. Jackie Beard Robinson tried to respond to that motion to dismiss and give her legal arguments as to why she believes that she is not bound by the arbitration provisions. For example, she says that defamatory per se statements, so like saying that someone committed a crime, falls outside of the scope of the arbitration provision under Florida law. She also tried to argue that the contract as a whole was unenforceable because it was unconscionable. Let's talk about that because that's actually a really high standard to invalidate a contract entered into by private parties. In the United States, we have actually a contracts clause in our constitution, and the U.S. Constitution's contracts clause is a rule that limits the power of the government. It essentially prohibits states from passing laws that interfere with private contracts. So unconscionability is a pretty high standard to meet, and I'm pulling this from her actual emotion. I'm not pulling it out of my brain, but it says that it is when a term is unreasonably favorable to the other party and when there's an absence of meaningful choice when entering into the contract. I mean, I feel like in law school, it was kind of like not life or death situations, but when you're in a dire situation and you just sign your rights away, that is unconscionable. I am I know there's a spectrum in I'm sure there are arguments to be made specific to Florida law and as to what unconscionability is. But here she signed it. She signed it and initialed it. I mean, I don't know if she was like, 
strangled over quicksand um, when she had to sign it. But it doesn't appear that this was unconscionable here. And the court seems to agree. The court ends up granting in part defendant's motion to dismiss. And so the court notes that unconscionability, so the the legal term that we were just talking about that Jackie Beard Robinson argued as to why the provisions of the contract don't apply to her, it's recognized as an absence of meaningful choice. But the court here found that she didn't end up proving that the contract was unconscionable. So the arbitration provision was enforceable and her claims had to be arbitrated instead of before the court. Okay, so what did Jackie Beard Robinson do next? Jackie Beard Robinson did not like the court's decision that the case had to be stayed and arbitrated and ended up appealing to the appellate court to get a finding that the lower court was wrong in their decision. And so we're not done with this lawsuit yet, but I do want to mention that she, Jackie Beard Robinson, plaintiff here, was suing for actual and compensatory damages in excess of $10 million. And then she was seeking damages, punitive damages, in excess of $20 million, or at least 5% of each defendant's net worth, whichever is greater. Okay, that is a lot of money for those comments made on Watch What Happens Live. That is a lot. I don't know what 5% of Andy Cohen's worth is, but I bet it's a lot. So here is the outcome of the case. So they were ordered to go to arbitration, and the arbitrator ended up issuing a final award. And it denied plaintiff's motion to dismiss for lack of arbitrability, finding that the arbitration clause in the contracts, so the two that we went over, mandated the parties to resolve the dispute in arbitration. It also granted defendants, so all defendants, motion to dismiss the proceeding for failure to state a claim, finding that plaintiff released all of her claims in the party's agreement. So they're saying that she doesn't have any claims because of the two releases that she signed. And they concluded that defendants established their counterclaim for breach of contract. So here, defendants filed a counterclaim saying, hey, you sued us. We're going to sue you for breach of contract and granted defendants application for attorney's fees in response. So the arbitrator for a case that Jackie Beard Robinson brought ended up awarding defendants $61,000 in attorney's fees to be paid by the plaintiff. So not only did she have to pay to bring this lawsuit, she ended up losing the lawsuit entirely. Defendants ended up winning their claims against her and she had to pay for their fees. Oof, that had to hurt. That is unpleasant. But Turns out, according to at least this court, this federal court, those contracts are definitely enforceable. So read, read and think about stuff before you uh, sign it, guys, especially if you're going to be on TV. So we are going to leave this episode here. There are more lawsuits to get into involving the Gorgas. Plus, we have asked for your questions on our Instagram and our Patreon, so be sure to DM us on there or join our Patreon to get your questions answered in our next episode on the Gorgas. As always, thank you for listening to the Bravo Docket. Thank you for following us on social media. 
Thank you for your kind notes and reviews. If you ever have a correction to any of our episodes, please feel free to email us at thebravodocket at gmail.com. We are responsive on there and we'll make corrections as needed. But yeah, thank you for listening. And until next time, legal team, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>